when, when I uh, began to prepare to teach on entitlement, I was excited about it because throughout my lifetime in our culture, entitlement has grown increasingly, and, and I thought the need was there, but this was one of the few times I thought that I would be off the hook from having to learn anything. And so I began to get into it and found that, that there are these things called pocket entitlements and realized I have a few of those myself. And so, so this is for me as well as for, in some sense, probably all of us here. So a resource for you to, to make note of, because I only have 30 minutes, but a resource is a book titled The Entitlement Cure by Dr. John Townsend. Excellent book by him, The Entitlement Cure. He, he defines entitlement this way. He says, it's the belief that I'm exempt from responsibility and, I'm, and I am owed special treatment. I'm exempt from responsibility. I'm owed special treatment. The, the key phrase is, I deserve. I, just because I'm breathing air, I deserve. Right? This is something that is owed to me. And, and while this has been growing in our culture for a long, long time, it goes way, way back before then. It goes all the way back to, to Adam and Eve. If you think with me about, about what God did, he created this perfect creation, created this paradise called the Garden of Eden, he put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden in paradise and said, this is all yours. It's all yours except one thing. There's one tree. You can't eat the fruit of one single tree. But, but they felt, but, but we want that. We deserve what we want. Yeah, how, how dare you limit us because that's something we want. We deserve that. You owe us that. If you won't allow us that, then, then you don't deserve to be our God. You know, we deserve autonomy. We'll become gods of our own. And so uh, entitlement actually began way back in the very beginning. And uh, you and I are the, uh, the, the heirs of Adam and Eve. And we are prone to, to the potential of entitlement as well. Um, so um, before I get into some examples of what that looks like, let me pull back for a moment and talk about the, like the God-given role that we have. In Genesis 1.28, this is for Adam and Eve, but for us as well. God spells this out for them. He says, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth. That means to to bring order out of chaos, and then basically to govern it. He's saying to them, basically, I'm giving you work to do. And and there's such dignity in it, if you think with me about it, He's created this perfect world, and he said to them, I want you to mold and shape the world that I made. It would be like Leonardo da Vinci giving his children paintbrushes and saying, help me, help me paint the Mona Lisa. I mean, that's the dignity God was giving to them in work and in saying, subdue the earth and govern the earth in. He's saying, your, your role is to work and to shape and to contribute here. And, and then one more aspect for, for the role we have that avoids entitlement. Jesus would say this in Mark 10, 43 and 45. He would say, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He's saying that if you want to be someone of substance, then, then you're called to give. And so for a Christ follower, there's this there's this trilogy, if you will, this trinity, if you will, of work and contribute and give. That, that's the role God's given every single human being, to work and contribute and give. The, the byline he gives us is, I'm responsible versus I deserve. I'm responsible versus I deserve. So, 
So I want to hit on, on four areas of entitlement that are some of the larger problems in our culture. And so uh, these may or may not hit you. They may hit you in an area that's profound and deep and causing all kinds of problems. Maybe a, like a pocket area of entitlement for you that raises its head from time to time. But I want to touch on four of these. The first is, is the area of work, either paid work or unpaid work. And, and entitlement would, would have this sense of, I, I deserve work that makes me happy. I deserve that. I'm owed work that makes me happy. Or if it's a paid job, I deserve work that pays more than I'm getting now. I just deserve that. I'm owed that. I deserve work that gives me flexibility. I'm owed that. I deserve work where I'm appreciated. I'm owed that. And, and none of those things are bad in themselves, are they? To be happy at work and to make more money at work and to have flexibility and be appreciated. None of those are, are bad at all. But, but the entitlement piece is, is saying, I, I just simply deserve this. I, I deserve this simply for breathing. It needs to come to me. It needs to be given to me. Versus saying, I, I'm responsible. It's a good thing to be happy. I'm responsible for, for finding work or, or engaging my life into work in a way that I can be happy. If I need more pay, I'm responsible for finding a job or doing a job in a fashion that gives me more pay. If I need work that gives me flexibility, if I desire that, I'm responsible to get that. If I want to be appreciated at work, that's a good thing. But, but I bear some responsibility in that, either to do my job differently or to act differently or find a different workplace. I, I'm responsible. In, in Colossians chapter 3, verses 23-24, Paul would write this. And this is to Christ followers. He would say, work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that the master you're serving is Christ. He says, if you follow Jesus, whatever job you are currently doing, do it as though you're working for Jesus. If it's not the right job, it's not the right place, if, if there are other things you're longing for, looking for, then, then go look for them, go find them. But wherever you work, he's saying work as though you're working for Jesus. I'm responsible versus I deserve. Years ago, uh, I, uh, I took on some new areas of our company. I inherited a man that was 25 years my senior. He had been in the company for 20 years at that point in time. And, and I began to notice there was no productivity from him. He was a sharp man, really nice man. There was no productivity, so I kind of leaned into it and got closer to it, closer to him, and, and saw that that was an accurate assessment and challenged him, gave him some clear direction, everything, and still not seeing productivity. I, I kind of dug into his past and, and asked about his prior performance through the years and thinking this was a new problem. It turns out that as far back as I could find, he'd never produced anything, any time. He was kind of passed around and handed off and everything, and he was very content. He, 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 he may have been as content with his job as anyone in the whole company. And there was no production there, and so I got real specific with him and gave him a couple of assignments, and, and they, they simply weren't done. And I sat down with him after those were not done, and I said, uh, I'm going to give you this very clear assignment now, and I want to make sure you understand what I'm asking. I want to make sure you know how to do it, which he affirmed. And I said, if, if you don't finish this by, by this deadline, you can no longer work here. So that night, I'm, I'm processing that conversation. I'm thinking, he didn't look bothered at all. And then I realized the irony of what I told him. I said, you can no longer work here. Well, he hadn't actually worked here for years. I mean, nothing's going to, my threat wouldn't change anything. What I should have said is, you won't get paid here anymore. <laughs> so I clarified that, and I, unbelievable sense of entitlement. When the deadline came, he had done nothing. And he just said, I'm just not into it. 
And uh, so he exited the company and was gone. And um, I got a call from him a year or two later. And he said, uh, you know, thank you for firing me. I, I needed that. It was the best thing for me. I needed that. But there was this entitlement that was an extreme case of it. Extreme case of it. Do you, do you ever struggle or wrestle with feeling entitled about the work role you have? Again, it may be a paid role, unpaid role. Do you ever struggle with that? Do, do you find yourself with this sense of I'm, I'm owed, I deserve, rather than I'm responsible for? Another big area is money and possessions. It, it might look like this sense that I deserve food, shelter, transportation. I, I'm simply owed that. I breathe air, so I should be provided those things. It, it may go to another, another level, which would be maybe more common among in the Bay Area for many, that, that I deserve, I'm owed a certain lifestyle. Not just, not just a home, but a certain kind of home. Not just transportation, but I need certain cars, certain toys, certain vacations. I'm entitled to that because I breathe. So Paul would speak into that. In 2 Thessalonians 3.10, he would say those unwilling to work will not get to eat. And he was referring to people that were able-bodied and could work because in the New Testament church, they were renowned for their kindness and generosity and care for those who couldn't care for themselves. In fact, there are, there's writings about how many people came to Christ in the Roman Empire because they saw this profound love that these people had and how they cared for each other where it was needed. But it wasn't this enabling, it wasn't this environment of entitlement that would, would be allowed or they would put up with. He's saying if, if you are not willing to work and you're able to, then you simply don't eat. You simply don't eat. And then Paul would say in Philippians 4.11, he would say, I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. Yeah, I've, been, I've learned to be content with whatever I have. He'd go on to say, sometimes I've had it all, sometimes I've had nothing. I've learned to be content with what I have. We were in, uh, in Kentucky in the seminary years, and there's a really nice man that lived about four houses uh, just up the hill from us. Uh, just maybe two or three, four years older than me. Maybe he's 40 years old or something like that. And a really nice guy, and got to know him better and better. And, and after... Um, many months, I guess, I, I was shocked to learn that he was on disability. Um, I, I'd never seen any signs or indications of it, but I thought, man, there's, there's some poor guy, there's some hidden disease that prevents him from being able to, to earn. And so I, I just asked him very gently about it. I, you know, can, do you mind me asking why it is your own disability? And he said, because I got approved. I said, no, 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 but, but like, why? Because if I'm concerned for you. And he said, well, I, I just know the ropes of it. And and then he looked at me like the light bulbs came on, like what I was asking. He said, I can get you in too. I know how to do it too. And this guy, he was maybe 40 years old. He was sharp. He was physically able. And he'd learned the ropes and because he thought he was just entitled to money and possessions. It's just someone owed him and someone was willing to do it. Our gracious government was willing to do it. And, and, and he just took it. He simply took it. I'll give you another example of money and possessions. It's a little bit different, but... Marie and I bought our very first house in Plano, Texas. I, was, I just turned 25. She was on the verge of 23. It was this uh, modest three-bedroom, two-bath house. And, and we met a couple our age, first house for them too, about just a few houses down. And, and we were so excited. Uh, we felt like we had won the lottery and everything and, and uh, so pleased with our house. We began to talk with this couple and we're, we're bragging about what we all get to share in this neighborhood and and they had nothing but negative things to say about the house. It was too small. It was too cheap. It was a track home. On and on and on and on and on. And, and then they said, it's just a matter of time until we move over to that neighborhood over there. And, 
It was one of these more expensive neighborhoods. And, and, and they were at this point of, they, they deserved more than this. This wasn't enough for them. I mean, it was an embarrassment that they had to live in this place because, because they, they deserved more than that. They were owed more than that. And if they followed the mindset that is part of our culture, then they probably borrowed way, way, way too much money because they just deserved a house that was like that. And then probably had all kinds of money struggles unless they were blessed with a bunch of money coming in then. But there was this sense of, with money and possessions, I'm, I'm just owed. Do you ever feel that way about the amount of money that you have or don't have or the, the home you have or don't have, the car you have or don't have, the, the, the clothes you have or don't have, the vacations you take or don't have? Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like because I see, I see so many people doing that, then, then I just deserve that too? Do you ever feel entitlement creeping in for you? Another one is, is health. And, and the entitlement would be this sense that I deserve good health. I deserve a long life. Whether I choose to do anything to promote health and promote a long life that I can do. It's just simply because I, I breathe air. There's a God that loves me. I'm on the planet. And I, I deserve good health. I deserve a long life. Again, regardless of how I take care of myself or fail to take care of myself. And, and so Paul, again, is speaking. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, he says this. He says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. And one piece of honoring God with our body is to say, I'm responsible to do the things that promote good health and longevity. I'm responsible for that. I realize, oh, man, that this is one of those pocket entitlements that I have if I'm stressed or tired. This is one I can go there. I, I give you an example that was, was a temptation into that. Four years back, we did a series called The Pursuit of Health here. It was several, several weeks around different topics about health. And, and on this given Sunday in the morning, the topic had been about uh, healthy eating. So we had this great morning around healthy eating. It was very inspiring. I was all uh, pumped up about it. That night we had a guest here. We had this special uh, workshop that night about healthy eating and everything. And it was, it was really powerfully done. And I was so motivated. I was also really, really tired. And so I pack up to leave when the place is empty. Marie's gone out of town. And I, I begin to think about a chop house cheddar burger. And I had said that morning, I'd said that, man, three or four times a year, I'll get a cheeseburger. It's no big deal. And I, I was thinking as I was driving off, I haven't had a cheeseburger in months, and I think I'll get one at the Waterburger right down the road. And then it dawned on me, there may be a bunch of people from the workshop that are at the Waterburger down the road, and, and they see me get a chop house cheddar burger, and they don't know it's been months, and I, unless I put a sign on myself, I've not eaten one in months. And, and so I, we could undermine the work being done because they think, look at that hypocrite. And I wasn't being hypocritical because I had said, hey, I eat these once in a while. But for the sake of the church, I drove 15 miles to another Whataburger. <laughs> That's how much I love you. That's how much I care about your growth. And this is how much God loves me. I, I placed my order. I got to the window. And this young lady leans forward and says, you're my pastor. <laughs> and then she says, and you ordered a Chop House Cheddar Burger. And I'm going... Yes, yes, I, and I wanted so badly to say there was a mistake. I know I said a grilled chicken salad, I, but I, I couldn't lie, and so I'm shaking my head no and saying, yes, I, 
I did order the chop house cheddar burger, but this is, this is what caught me this time was, because I didn't go off the deep end then, but, but uh, the very end of February, we went on a vacation to San Diego, and when we were there, it was vacation, and so we celebrated and got a dessert one night, which is fine, and then the next night, I told her we need to get two, and so we got two, and she ate two bites of hers, and I ate all of hers and the rest of mine as well, and so... And, and it went on like that, and, and so we were gone for four or five days, and, and there were four or five days eating that way, which that's not that bad, but I came back, and about every three or four days, I thought, oh, it's just, just one more, just one more, whatever it was. And I called myself after four weeks of one mores and realizing this is, this is one of those areas for me that I can feel entitled. Like, I'm tired, I'm stressed, I've worked hard. I'll drive the extra 15 miles to protect you to, you know, to eat this way. But, but in one of the areas for me, is this one of the areas for you? Do you have this sense of, you know, I, I deserve, I at least hope, health and long life, but I am not doing what I can do around that. I'm feeling entitled rather than taking responsibility for it. I'll give you one more, marriage. And this one may be the most important of all because... When entitlement seeps in, it can be the most damaging of all with ripples that go throughout the entire society. The, the entitlement lie that is most damaging is the lie that says, I deserve to be happy. I'm mar- I deserve to be happy, and I'm not, and I haven't been for a while. And because I deserve it, then if, if you, either husband or if you won't make me happy, then I will find happiness in some other way. I'll find something else, I'll find someone else, and I'll find happiness. Because I deserve to be happy, I'm owed that. And you're not giving me that. And for God, who is the creator of marriage, the designer of it, marriage is it's a covenant arrangement. It's not a contract like, let's make a deal. Uh, you, know, you do this and I do that and, and it's a swap. It, it's a covenant that means I will commit to you regardless. It's a lifelong commitment to you. In marriage, in God's eyes, this lifelong commitment to love and love and love and love and love regardless, regardless. In fact, in Ephesians 5, 25 and 26, this speaks specifically to husbands, but in the greater context of Scripture, Scripture would say this, this very same thing to wives as well. It says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's Word. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. And you pause and think about how Christ loved the church. And he died for her. As broken and sinful and damaged as she was, he died for her. And God's saying to husbands and wives, you, you love, you pour out, you give and give and give. And yes, you want to be happy and God wants you to be happy, but you do all that you can do in this marriage. You pour all of the love you can pour out. And so many times, so many times when that's done on and on and on, so many times, things begin to get healthy and love comes back and happiness comes and all that. But even, even if it doesn't, God's saying, this is your role. This is your call. This is a lifelong deal. Marie and I had a, a couple we were good friends with. It was in the early oil business days. They'd been married about probably, probably six or seven years. And we, we met them before that. We met them soon after they got married. But by six or seven years of marriage and by one child, the wife decided that her husband was too boring and, and just he wouldn't change. He wouldn't become fascinating enough, interesting enough. And so she divorced him and connected with an old high school boyfriend who she married. 
some brief number of years passed, two or three years passed, and, and so her former husband fell in love again and, and became engaged and was headed to a wedding and gets a phone call from his former wife who was still married to the old boyfriend and, and who is crying on the phone saying, I made such a horrible mistake. You weren't that bad after all, and would you forgive me? Would you take me back and all? But, but she had burned, she'd burned every bridge. She badly wounded him. She badly wounded their child. She now badly wounded this person that she married now. And, and it was all of this sense of entitlement of I deserve. I, I am owed happiness. If you can't make me happy, then I will move on because I deserve happiness. God says, if you're married, he says, then your, your byword is I'm responsible for this marriage. Like I'm responsible to love with abandon. And yes, I hope happiness comes, but I'm responsible to love with abandon. That's, so that's four examples. There's so many more. You could go on and on with examples, and, and you'll have to explore maybe some of your own. Maybe the Spirit will prompt you. But I want to touch briefly on a couple of other things. One is this. It's what fosters entitlement. And if you're a parent, this is a time to make special mental notes or take special notes. What fosters entitlement? The first is vision problems. The first is vision problems. Someone is raised without grasping this vision that's God's vision for them, that they're to be contributors in this world, that they're to take their God-given skills, enjoy being productive in this world. Somehow they didn't get that. Maybe it's the parents who weren't giving that vision again and again and again. And then along the way, they weren't, they weren't uh, challenged to actually live that out in the small ways at the ages of two, three, four, five, and so on, and growing into that. They weren't their life wasn't molded in a fashion where they were shown that they could be, they could succeed, they could make a difference, and they needed to, and they were led to and required to. With our boys, we had, uh, we called it a 25-year vision. There were six points to it, and one of the points said this, is that God wanted them to develop their God-given skills and enjoy being a productive member of society. And, and we showed that to them, and, we, and they probably don't even remember ever actually seeing it. Now they know, they remember all about it, but but more than anything, it reminded us. And so Marie and I, day after day, week after week, month after month, we were reminded we need to keep telling them. We need to keep showing them. We need to keep giving them the chores, the tasks, the, the place to engage in the entire run that we have with them. And so if you're a parent, then have that in mind that, that, that your child needs vision around this. This is a God made them for a role. It, it's a role to work and contribute and to give, to make a difference. Then also fostering entitlement is our praise and reward problems. There's a lot you could say about this. Um, Townsend writes more about it, but at the core, I would say it's this: everybody gets a trophy syndrome. Now, let me say this: if if the deal was everyone that gave their best got a trophy, that'd be good. But when the deal is everyone that gets a trophy for showing up, that's bad, because the message is. is it's not, it's not this hurrah because you actually did so. It's just this hurrah because you're, you're occupying space. And you play that out in, in other pieces of life and everything, and you have someone who doesn't, doesn't have any concept of, of, of the God in heaven cheering when someone actually is making a contribution and playing the role that they're called to play. And I'll come back to that in a moment. So there are these praise and reward problems. Finally, there are these correction and consequence problems. In other words, they're not corrections along the way when when a child is not beginning to, to, uh, to contribute and to give and, and to make a difference then, and the consequences aren't either being given or not being backed up, because entitled people need enablers. So a child, if a child's going to grow up and, and breathe entitlement then, 
then that means there's, a, there's someone behind them that in perhaps, in fact, very likely that, that never carried out the consequences that were threatened. They, they never suffered. They never suffered. Or maybe now it's, it's the, the 30-year-old who's very capable, very competent. Everything's fine with them. They just don't want to work. And, and they, they, would, they actually would find a job if no one would feed them or shelter them or give them transport. They actually would find a job, but as long as there's an enabler, they can continue on being entitled. So there's some correction consequence problems. So if, if, you, if you're someone who is sensing, man, I, I'm owning the entitle, entitlement, or if you know someone, this is about helping the entitled. I want to give you three things. First is this, is, is, is you have to have and express genuine love. It can be so frustrating be so angry if you're, if you're living with or around someone who's entitled to me. Can get, you can be hot as boiling water, but that doesn't do any good. This person has to know, and it has to be true, you really love them, you're really for them. If they know you're really for them, then there's a chance that they'll actually listen. So you have to, to, to own and express genuine love for them. You, you need to cast vision for them. You need to tell them, God made you for more than this. And you're not a victim. You don't deserve all this just because you're breathing air. God made you for more than this. You need to give them the Genesis 1 vision, you know, Jesus' vision about being a servant. You need to tell them that. And you need to be aware if they've lived in title for a long time, they may, they may look really confident on the outside, and likely on the inside there's very, very low self-esteem, and you'll have to help them believe they actually can do something. You'll have to help them believe they actually can make a difference, actually can be a contributor if they've born into entitlement for a long, long time. And then finally, you have to establish expectations and consequences. You have to establish expectations and consequences that are clear, realistic, and unwavering. You have to be crystal clear. You have to be realistic. You have to be unwavering. And the unwavering maybe is the biggest part because it's where most of us fail most often. And if, you, if you're wavering, if you don't follow through, then, then all of the future stuff you do is likely to be for naught. So parents, I would especially say, when, when, you, when you lay down what a consequence will be, think it out very, very carefully before you lay it down and make up your mind that, that you will follow through if, if it comes to that. Make up your mind. And don't find yourself in, in bailing on those consequences. One final thought is this. There are such rewards of taking responsibility. There are such rewards of living out the life that God actually dreamed and planned for us to have. In Acts 20, 35, Jesus is quoted as saying, you're far happier giving than getting. And, and he knows the way he made humanity. He knows the way he made you and me. And he knows, he knows. When you and I, when we are working productively, when we're contributing, when we're giving, we are happier than when we're getting. He knows that. He knows that that's true. So there's this, there's this reward that comes just, just in, the, in the feelings that one has about life when we're living out the role that God gave us. And then in Matthew 25, 21, Jesus is he's talking about what God's kingdom is like. He's, he's telling a parable about some people that, that are given some resources by their master. And, and this first one comes back from the resources given to the master. And Jesus tells about this one. He says, he worked with it really hard. He took the resources, he worked really hard, and he multiplied and brought some, had some results from it because he worked really hard. And this is what Jesus says, the master says. And again, this is, 
the kingdom of God he's talking about. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's celebrate together. So when you and I are living out life in a sense of I'm responsible. Hey, God made me to be responsible. Not I deserve, not I'm owed, but I'm responsible. Not only do we have more joy and happiness ourselves, but, but the God of the universe is saying, well done. That's what I made for, well done. Now let's celebrate together. Now let's celebrate together. So what does God want you to take away from this topic and this message? Is there an area or are there areas of your life which you recognize entitlement? And maybe it's, it's pervasive. Maybe it pops up its head from time to time. If so, how will you take responsibility as God intends for you to do? How will you take responsibility as he intends? Perhaps there's someone in your life who feels entitled and needs your help. There are many of you in this room, you've thought of someone, or maybe more than someone. Will you love them enough to take steps to help them? Will you love them enough to take the steps to help them? And final thought is this. There's one thing we can never earn, and I have to say this after a talk like this. We can never earn God's grace and forgiveness and eternity in heaven. And you and I could, could work our whole lives and approach perfection one day and still never earn it and everything. That, that's the one thing that God gives that's free. It's the one thing he gives that's free is, is grace and forgiveness to all who surrender their lives to him. Father in heaven, I know there's a, a lot for me and us to take in on this. I pray that your spirit has been and now is, is taking a, a very sharp surgical knife to a part of our heart and mind where we might need most to focus and learn and grow. And, and maybe, not maybe, in many of our cases, it's, it's about our own entitlement that perhaps we have recognized or have not until now, but that's where you're working on us. May we lean into that with you. Maybe it's, it's the deep heart and desire to help someone who struggles with entitlement. Father, give, give both wisdom and love and courage us to step in and help those individuals. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.